Coming up next here on the Brandon's World Podcast, Brandon's in cell with friend of the show and former colleague at Bully Wind Media, Clarence Wilson. The current coach of Brown and Orange Weekly and Brandon talk all things Browns, NFL. Then they move into the NBA where they talk all things Cavs in the NBA offseason, including the rule changes in the NBA plus the in-season tournament. The Brandon's World Podcast starts. Now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening live to the Brandon's World Podcast here on this Thursday, July 13, 2023, a very special episode of the Brandon's World Podcast because I have with me today my former colleague over at Believe Land Media LLC, the current host of the Brown and Orange Podcast, Clarence Wilson. Clarence, we haven't talked in a while. How's it going, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. How you doing, B? Everything good? Yeah, everything is good. Things are working up here in Brandon's world. And, you know, Clarence, as I've been saying, um, I was not so sure about how at the end of the NBA finals, you know, middle of June, July, how the topics were going to go uh, here on Brandon's world, because I didn't know how much I was going to have to talk about. And it turns out <laughs> there has been a plethora of NBA NFL, I know you're not much of a baseball guy. I've thrown in some baseball topics here and there. I've been saying, I thought last summer was pretty crazy when it comes to sports. I think this summer has topped it. There is so much going on right now, even with not a lot of games happening. It's wild, man. Um, it's The NBA has long range, in my eyes, as long reign as the offseason king for drama and moves and things of that nature because there's always something going on. There's always a star that wants out. There's always some kind of drama. But the NFL is slowly but surely catching on. They, in the last, I'd say, three or four off-seasons, the NFL rivals them for drama, off-season drama. I would say that for sure. Speaking of drama, I would say one of the teams that's most interesting going into this season, regardless if you live in the 216 or not, nationally in the NFL, is the Cleveland Browns. Um, I think one of the reasons is because of the conference they're in, the AFC, where there's so many good quarterbacks. Another reason is because of the division they're in, the AFC North, one of, if not the toughest division this year in the NFL. And I think the third reason is, Everybody wants to see Deshaun Watson in a full year under the Kevin Stefanski scheme. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons why they did not fire Stefanski at the end of last year is because the Browns want to see Stefanski in a full year with Deshaun Watson. I've been hearing a lot of reports about the Browns are trying to modernize the offense, run it through Watson, not as much Chubb, which I think is a good direction. But I still think uh, in this era of of, of the AFC in your division where you have Cincinnati and Baltimore and Pittsburgh, who is still wins a lot of football games. Like I think, and I've seen a lot of this Browns fan base say it's playoffs or bust for this team. I think in the AFC, I don't necessarily think that I do think there is a lot of pressure though on them to win at least games, get eight, nine victories and see if you can get in the postseason. Just an overall arching aspect of your thought of, of the Browns going into this season for you. Um, I am of the ilk that last year's six games, that was just kind of the you know the trial run. It was pretty clear to me that they weren't trying to win those six games. They were trying to just get him acclimated. Um now it's it's go time. 
I think that they I think it is playoffs or bust. Um I think when you when you sign Deshaun Watson or when you trade for him, that move because of all the the baggage that he was bringing along, that move ripped apart the fan base. That move had the national media all over us. Um so when you make a move like that, it's not just to make the playoffs. Like at some point in the next four years, four seasons, it's they're gonna win a Super Bowl. I will say this year, playoffs, I'm I'm cool with playoffs. I am. But when you make that kind of move and you give up that capital that you did to get a guy like him, that's saying that you believe that he's the man and he's the answer to the quarterback uh conundrum they've been under since nineteen ninety nine. So in my eyes, this year, playoffs. And I do, I do feel that if they don't make the playoffs, I do feel that Stefanski's on the hot seat. I really do. I really feel like they have – I looked at the roster at the beginning of last season, and one of the first things that jumped out to me was the defensive line, the lack of uh, people in the middle of the defensive line, and the linebackers, and the wide receiving core. They've pretty much shored up two out of those three. And they brought back some of the linebackers that, you know, uh, they had Anthony Walker who got hurt uh, early last year. But they they shore up the defensive line. They shore up the wideouts. So now it's time to win. This whole season, no matter what happens, this whole season is going to live and die with Deshaun Watson. And, and it's just it's a fact in my eyes. I, I just can't see it any going any other way. I I'm gonna throw something that I've uh, pitched to other Browns fans and you know people that I have brought on this podcast, and everybody almost thinks I'm crazy, but I have said. If you get the production out of Deshaun Watson that you think that you acquired from Houston, if you get the old Houston Deshaun Watson, I think at the end of the season, depending on how it goes, obviously, I'm telling you, Connors, people think I'm crazy, but I would debate about trading Nick Chubb because I don't think if you have a great quarterback in Deshaun Watson, I think the Browns have some good offensive pieces. I like Amari Cooper. I don't love him as much as everybody else. Uh, sure. I still think that they need to upgrade and maybe make Cooper your number two. Maybe you try to go out and save the money from Chubb to go get a number one wide receiver or maybe go get another offensive lineman. Or if Zedarius Smith leaves, you use that money and you go get you know a guy opposite Miles Garrett or another defensive lineman. Like we've seen running back, and it doesn't matter who the running back is unless it's Adrian Peterson, break the mold. And I understand how good Nick Chubb is. But if Watson's as good as the Browns think he is, if he has that tremendous season, you're not going to put the ball in Chubb's hands as much as you will anyway. So to me, it's almost a sell-eye situation because at some point, we've seen the best running backs in the NFL go from having great seasons and some of the best in the league right now and look at a guy like Delvin Cook who's not even signed on a roster right now to the season he had last year with Minnesota. Sure. I, 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 that, that is, you bring up valid points. Um, if they have a really solid season and Watson has a really solid season, um, I still think that you've got to keep Chubb just simply because as good as Watson is, he's not. He's not Mahomes. I don't think that he can win you games. He he can't. Let, let me rephrase that. He can win you games on his own, but I don't think he is Mahomes esque. 
So you see guys like, you know, Josh Allen, who, awesome player, but when it's time to run the ball, they struggle. They struggle. So I feel like you got to have somewhat of a balanced attack. Um, I don't want to see Chubb go anywhere because, quite frankly, he carried the offense at certain points over the last few years. Um, I just, I just feel like you need that balance. I feel like you need that other threat. Now, if they were to let him go and they were to, you know, like you said, try and go out and get a, I would, I shouldn't say true number one because Cooper's filled, he filled the role pretty admirably last year. Um, but if they, if they do and they, you know, they do let go of Chubb and they go try and get a number, another wide out. My biggest concern is that I don't want to end up as a one dimensional team. I'm not sure that we can compare them to like a Kansas city who does throw a lot because Andy Reid is proven. He's a proven coach. He has done this before. He's done it in different places, different stops. Stefanski, let's be honest, his record has went downhill since the first year. So I, I, I'm not I'm not for getting rid of Nick Chubb at all, ever. But that's that, I'm also old school, man. I want to see him pound the ball, man. Three, three yards in a cloud of dust. I, I love it. <laughs> now, what, what is your take? Because this, this AFC North to me, along with the rest of the AFC is fascinating. I mean, I look at a team like Pittsburgh, and to me, talent-wise, they're the fourth most talented team in the division. Yet, over the last couple of years, when they have T.J. Watt, it doesn't even matter the talent. They just win games, and they pretty much almost made the playoffs last year with Kenny Pickett playing okay at the, at the end of the year. But, I mean, it's not that talented of a team. They have a good defense, I would say. It turns into nothing mm-hmm. without T.J. Watt. You know, Baltimore, when Lamar Jackson is healthy, I think people are undeniably, they're one of the best teams in the week. The numbers say it. Uh, they were the only team last year through 10 games with a double-digit lead in every single game. Their defenses obviously couldn't cause the deal. And then you have Cincinnati, who we all know, Burrow, Chase, Mixon, Higgins, Trey Anderson on the defensive end, along with some of the other guys that they have on that team. So, I mean, how do you view this AFC North? Because there's going to be a really good team. Again, I feel like out of this division, that's not going to make the playoffs. Honestly, um, we this reminds me of, now I'm going to show my age a little bit here, um, the old AFC Central, when it was Cleveland, Pittsburgh, um, Cincinnati, and Houston. And Pittsburgh had Bubby Brister as the QB. Mar Brownies had Bernie. The Bengals had Boomer. And Houston Oilers had Warren Moon. So every week was just a battle. It was a super battle. And, it, and we're, we're trending that way again. Like you said, Pittsburgh, I don't – but you know what? Those every week, they show up to play no matter what. Um, I, Tomlin is one of the better coaches in the NFL to me. I don't care what a lot of their fan base says. If you can take some of the rosters and some of the talent that he's had – and still end up being competitive every single week. Come on, man! Like right? it's it, you got to give them their props. Um, Cincinnati, like you said, they're they're a juggernaut. They they can score with anybody. Their defense is getting better. And then um, then you got Baltimore. For some reason, it's we can stop everybody on Baltimore except for one guy, yep. Mark Andrews. 
That dude is that dude is open when he gets off the damn plane when he comes to Cleveland, and he's open when he leaves his house when he's playing us. So it, it is a wild division. Um, I do I do like the fact that we are playing tough divisional games every week. Uh, that we play somebody w- within the AFC North, and it's it makes it a lot harder for the Browns to make the playoffs. But again, this is why you went out and traded all these first round picks and and all this stuff for Deshaun Watson to take it to that next level. So I'm going to throw you a national question real quick. Um, You know, we talk about in the AFC, there are so many of these quarterbacks, you know, uh, Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, Lamar Jackson, you you know, uh, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. Now There, there are so many quarterbacks. The one team in the AFC, I literally cannot figure out what they're doing. And who am I to question this man? He's only the greatest coach ever. But it's it's Belichick in in New England. I mean, I do not understand their draft. They drafted corners, guards, and kickers for the slowest offense in the league. Uh, They (laughs) they do not adapt at all to offensive football. And in 2023, the one thing I do like about the Browns, they do have an offensive-minded coach, which I feel Mm -hmm. like is is where the league is heading and you're seeing it. I've been saying it, you know, the last two years, championship weekend, all four coaches have been, you know, offensive-minded head coaches. And there's been some speculation, and I'm asking this question because I want to tie it back to the Browns. I don't know. Is this really, could it be Belichick's last season in New England? If something goes south with Stefanski, could Belichick come back to Cleveland? Like, it's a thought I've had because by far, New England is the worst team in, in the AFC East. I I seriously believe there is a scenario. If Tua Tagovailoa especially stays healthy, New England in their own division goes 0-6. That, that very well could happen. Um, I agree with you. It, it seems like since Brady has left, um, they've just kind of fallen off the map. They, you know, they look good one week. They look like garbage the next. You, you can't pinpoint them like you're saying. You just don't. And then, the, then like you said, the draft is just odd. Um, the last thing I kind of heard on them is they were, I guess, one of the main teams looking to sign uh, D-Hop. So, Maybe that's their their offensive move, but it, it seems like Bill is running with Mac, who I don't know what Mac is, quite quite frankly. Yeah, I don't I know mean, what Mac. Is. I mean, how how do you know? I I I pretty much ranted on this the other day, the last podcast I made. I said these are these are moves you make when you're trying to sabotage an, an organization. He gave Devonte Parker, who PFF statistically rated the worst wide receiver in separation over the last three years, individually, 2020, 21, and 22. He gave him a three-year, $33 million contract extension to be your number two. And on some nights, you know he's going to be your number one because, let's face it, Juju Smith-Schuster, he's never been healthy throughout his career, whether it's been in Pittsburgh or Kansas City. You're not giving your quarterback – any chance to succeed. It's like they want to play. It's like they're seeing all these modern offenses of the NFL and Belichick's stubbornness is saying, we're just going to go to 1980 fullbacks and two tight end set and run the hell out of the ball. That's the only thing I can think of. 
I mean, it's it is kind of wild that that they they've probably been running a very similar offense for the last five ten years. The difference is the trigger man. It, it, without Brady in there, they just it, it's not the same thing. They don't seem to be able to get anything going. Um, you are correct on his signings. I don't know. I just feel like there is. I do see a scenario where Bill's like, "All right, I, I'm I ran my course here." Craft uh, is like, "You know what, you Bill? Thank you for everything you've done," and he leaves. And then if Stefanski does not get it done, I'd take Belichick in a heartbeat. I really would. I, I mean, I, I'm a, I, I am a Browns fan through and through. I'm pulling for Kevin Stefanski. Um, I think Watson after – it took me a while to get to this point, but I think Watson is going to get back to, to the man that he was or the player that he was because there's always there was always this little tiny piece of me in the back of my head like, what if he just never gets right again? Yeah, I know. I know but, what you're saying. But, but, yeah, but now I'm 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 all aboard on that. So now it is that's why this man stays as my background, because he is the key to making it all work. Him and that damn Denny's menu. He <laughs> they's the key <laughs> to making it work. And if he if he does not, if they don't make the playoffs this year, I think he's gone. I really do. I think he's gone. The biggest thing to the, with the Browns, and this this use can probably go across the board, but especially with the Browns, if they're revamping this offense, how long is it going to take for the pieces and the parts to come together? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, it, you know, is it four games? Is it six games? Is it eight games? And if they're three and five after eight games, Stefanski's ass is on fire at that point. The one thing so, I do like about the Browns is it does seem like Watson is getting camaraderie with the receivers. They've been there on training camp. They're working together. One team that has not done that, Clarence, is the Buffalo Bills. And I'm asking <laughs> you, of course, specifically about the Stephon Diggs situation because we all know Buffalo is one of the best teams in the league. Roster-wise, talent-wise, Josh Allen's one of the best quarterbacks, all that. Yet, Ever since Brian Day will have to become the head coach of the Giants, eh, Buffalo, they don't have the same mojo they once had. McDermott, to me, if he didn't sign that contract extension, he'd be on one of, if not the hottest team in the week. It, Buffalo, mm -hmm. to me, is a very weird team. I, I still like them a lot. I think Buffalo is in a situation where they could absolutely go win the Super Bowl. But there's also that scenario of Diggs is unhappy, and I never like it when a team has, you know, controversy going into a season. We saw it here in Cleveland, the Odell Beckham Freddie Kitchens here. We saw what a disaster it turned into. There's a situation where Buffalo completely turns into a disaster, and it's why I'm also looking at it if Miami stays healthy. Tua, Jalen Waddle, Tyree Kill. They added Jalen Ramsey on defense and a great defensive coordinator in Vic Fangio. I I think I've sort of changed my mind. I went back and forth and destroyed Buffalo winning that division. Now I got Miami winning the division. Um, I don't really see the Jets as a playoff team with Aaron. I think their schedule is too hard. I think it's going to take Aaron a year to get acclimated into that system. How do you see that all working out? Um, I think Miami is scary as hell. I really do. Um, they have 
it seems like they have everything. And then, and then if they somehow have heard rumors of them uh, being the ones to sign Dalvin Cook as well, you add him to that. And, and, and to us, and like, like you said, though, the main thing is to us staying healthy. But if he stays healthy, they, I think they're the best team in the AFC East. That's just, I, I, I really do. I think that, that Buffalo, great team. I think they're still a playoff squad. I just think Miami has just, they're stacked all over the place. And the way the league is going, you know, it's become an offensive league now at this point. Their their offense is on point when she was at the helm. Um, as far as the Jets go, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers has played in the same system his entire career. So I and it's the same franchise. He's had what two head coaches. So yeah. you know, I, I feel like there's gonna be some transition there. It's gonna take some time. First time with a defensive minded head coach as well, obviously McCarthy and then before and mm-hmm. now Sala. Um, so what's NFL question for you, Clarence? <laughs> Give me the team this year that you think is gonna be a good surprise, maybe good that people don't have as much on their radar, and then a team that everybody is over the moon about, they think they're gonna be great, and you're not as high on them as maybe as most people. <sighs> The team I think that could shock somebody, that could shock a lot of people. Um, I think it could be Tampa Bay, man. I, I think that uh, I think our old quarterback Baker Mayfield is down there now. Um, best receiving core he's ever had in his life. Um, oh, sorry, sorry, in the NFL, I should say. But he was also a guy, you know. Baker was making, you know, scabs look good in 2018. So, you know, but I think. Tampa's a team that can shock some people. Um, excuse me. As far as a team that I think people are uh, over the moon about, maybe San Francisco. They don't – we still don't know who the damn quarterback is. They've got – what uh, – They've got Trey Lance, who they gave up all those assets for. They've got the kid who ended the uh, last season, whose name escapes me. Um, what who, who was the quarterback that was the last? Purdy. Uh, Purdy, yeah, Brock, Brock Purdy. And then I know they signed Darnold. <laughs> so, but I, I feel like I feel like the NFL is a week to week league, and the way that Brock Purdy played last year, he looked pretty damn solid. I want to see it happen over a full season, though. Yeah, I, I agree with you, actually, on both. There's a lot of people that think Tampa's going to get the number one pick, and I don't see it. I don't think they're going to be great, but I think six, seven, eight wins if Baker stays healthy, because I like a lot of their offensive pieces still. Uh, yeah. I think that they need to get younger on defense. We'll see how good of a coach Bowles is. And I agree with you on Purdy. I was saying it all season long. I was never a believer in Purdy. I thought I thought really his stats were inflated a lot of the after the catch. And uh, obviously what, what my team did to him in the NFC championship game. Um, <laughs> but I I will say this my kind of shock team is actually a team in the South. You mentioned Tampa. I actually really like Carolina a lot. Um I, okay. I like Bryce Young. I know there's some concerns about the size, but I really like Frank Reich as a coach. Don't think he should have been fired in in Indianapolis at all. 
Uh, and no. I think that they do have some some weapons. Their offensive line is younger and coming of age. Uh, and in that division, I get the Saints are good, but I don't know what I'm getting out of Michael Thomas or Alvin Kamara, really. Don't want their coach either. So I think there's a possibility Carolina wins the South this year. And for a team that this team, to me, not a lot of people are picking them to make the playoffs, but they think they're still going to be decent to average. I think this team could be one of the worst teams in the league. And that, to me, is Tennessee. Um, Absolutely. I, I don't like their roster. I think, much like we talked about Nick Chubb, I know Derrick Henry's the only offensive piece they have. I would try to get something for him now. I think Tennessee's in, in a complete rebuild. I don't like the kid, Will, Will Levis, out of Kentucky. He was the least-rated quarterback I had on my board. Uh, their defense is very old and expensive. It's a lot of Belichickian New England-like. You know, a lot of people like Mike Rabel. I know mm-hmm. they, they had the number one seed two years ago, but they had A.J. Brown. They had Julio Jones, you know, who was obviously injured, but he still had some production. I just – I don't see – there's people that are saying Tennessee seven, eight wins – and I'm looking at them, and to me, they're like a five-six win team. I, I tend to agree with you. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the hell it is they're doing down there. They spent a draft pick two years ago on Malik Willis. Um, they threw him out to the Wolves a couple of games. He had zero time to do anything. I watched a few of those games because I was interested to see how this kid would do. Yes, he had zero time back in that pocket, and then I think after getting hit a few times, he got happy feet. So and, I don't understand what the point of drafting him was and then coming back and then spending another pick on Levis. And there's a report out there that he's actually outperformed Will Levis, but they're going to cut Malik Willis because they drafted Will Levis. So who knows what they're doing? I know a lot of people are on Malik Willis. They don't think he can play. I'm not one of those people. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I don't think Tennessee gave him a chance. Like, I actually believe if San Francisco – for example, a team that really doesn't have a quarterback. If you put him in that offense, I think Malik Willis could do some damage. I think there's potential there. I think we saw a flashes of it, but I just think mm-hmm. the kid needed time to sit and learn to play the game and actually have some legitimate receivers to throw to. Yeah, that's – I mean, I think that's – that is – I'll put it this way. To me, in any sport, you have guys that are beasts, and they are going to succeed – wherever they go, no matter what. But then you have guys who need to sit a year and learn and watch and just soak it all in before they get before they get tossed out there. That's, that is the prime example of Malik Willis in my eyes. That guy, he played at Liberty, so his competition wasn't that great. Let him sit. Let him learn. And then see what happens. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I want to switch gears, Clarence, and Ed to the NBA. And I, I got to tell you, I know we talked some Cavs you know, when I was the co-host of the All Things Cavs podcast. I know you filled in for, for for Joey Schneider an episode or two. I got some hot takes on the Cavs, uh, in, admittedly, because I don't think the Cavs had as great of an offseason as everybody said they did. Um, we'll see, obviously, if this kid Bates works out. I do like the addition of Strews and Yang as shooters. I think they improved their bench a little bit. But this team is still missing a legit wing. 
And I did not like the way that series ended against the Knicks at all. I don't care what anybody says to me. The Knicks were not the better team in that series. The Cavs had the best player in the series. They had the better talented team in the series. And they just crowd the bell. Let's, let's just put it that way. Mitchell did not have a great series. Garland did not have a great series. And outside of upgrading the bench, I realized there's not a lot they could do unless you wanted to make a seismic change, which I'll get to that in a second. But I don't know. I feel like the Cavs are still in that four, five seed where it's like they might win a playoff series. They might not type. I'm I'm just I'm not as optimistic on them as I think some people are saying that they had a better offseason than what I think they had. I agree with you. I agree with you 100 percent Um as you said, they did they did upgrade the bench for sure. For sure. But you know, I've been screaming for two years, three years. It they was... need a big win. Yeah, they need a big win, like you said, a three and D, six seven, six eight guy who can play defense and shoot. He has to be able and he can also, you know, guard um guard the wings that are all over the east. Because they're everywhere. And I I feel like they're still missing that guy. Um, uh, Struis is okay. He's a guy. He's gonna be. He's gonna work well on our bench, but we're missing the wing dude. And above everything, we didn't get any tougher than I than I see. No, like I feel like we're still like I. I watched that damn series against the Knicks. Mitchell Robinson is out there looking like Wilt Chamberlain on the glass against yep, us. Yep. Bullying. Embarrassing. Bullying. You have two seven for I I said this. Going into the series, Clarence, I predicted the Cavs to win in six games. Yeah. I watched the first game against the Knicks. I think a couple of days later, I, I brought Joey onto this podcast. We discussed it. When I saw them dominate us in game one, I said the Cavs are in trouble. When the Cavs blew them out in game two against the Knicks, I said, we're not winning another game. We just lost the series. Because I knew there's no way in hell the Cavs are going to play that good again. There's no way in hell the Knicks uh-huh. were going to play that bad again. Uh-huh. We we in the sports media world were, were hot egg artists, whatever you want to call us. But I think we both have the ability to see the positive in losses and the negative in wins. And that's yes. something that not a lot of people can understand. It's like, you blow a team out by 30. It's great. You know that other team's not going to play as bad as they did the other night. You yep. have to be mentally prepared. And I don't even think Tom Thibodeau was that great of a coach. And J.B. Bickerstaff completely got out coached in that series. They did not play Lamar Stevens until game five. Should have played him a lot earlier. Did mm-hmm. not like, by the way, that they had to give him up uh, in that sign-in trade to get through for Jetty Osmond. I, I yeah. guess financially, I don't know why you couldn't pick somebody else. Uh, Dean Wade was healthy in the series, never played. The the Kevin Love thing is still strange as hell. Nobody yeah. understands what the hell happened there. Um, So I, I'm going to throw this out to you, Clarence. I know I've said a lot, but after the series at Dawn, you know, you mentioned the toughness. There was all this talk about, oh, we need to trade Jared Allen. The lights aren't bright for him. He's not tough. And I understand that. I personally do not believe Evan Mobley is ready to play the five. I think Mobley has the perfect body for a four right now. Reminds me a lot mm-hmm. of Tim Duncan, who, by the way, played a lot of the four in San Antonio. So to yep. me, 
in a wings league, what you just said, and we both acknowledge how many big wings do you have in the East? You keep Mobley, you keep Allen. I know the Cavs don't want to do it, but I think in order to get the wing you need, slide Mitchell to the one and try to trade Darius Garland. I I couldn't agree with you more. Like I I've actually mentioned that to a couple of my friends. I'm like, you know what? With the series that Allen had, I don't think his value is that high right now. So I don't think you're gonna get a whole bunch for him if you try to deal with him. I feel like Mobley is untradeable at this particular point because of his youth, second team all defense in his second year in the league. You're not you're not letting that dude walk. So what do you have left? What do you have left that anybody wants? You're not giving up Mitchell because you gave up the farm to get him. So what what do you got left? You got Io, who his shot his shot greatly improved. Shot greatly improved. I still don't think he's still, but he's still six five. He's still guard size to me. Great defender, but not it. Um, nobody really wants anything on our bench. So what do you have left to try and improve the team? You got DG. I don't want to see him traded, but I 100% agree with you. If if they want to be able to bring in that big wing or they want to be able to make a big move, he's the piece that has to go. And, and you're right, slide Mitch to the one. So I thought about two or three guys, and I, I went through my head, because obviously if you're going to trade Darius Garland, you're going to trade him for a bigger piece. Um, mm-hmm. And I wasn't thinking about necessarily who would do it. But and I know this player is a little bit older, but I was looking at the landscape of the NBA, and you know the teams that have your legit wings, most of them are not available. Most of them are not going to be able to be traded. Um, and I was just saying, you know, Eric Levert, he drives me nuts. Some games he plays great, some games he doesn't. But if you have Image or two, Mitchell as your one, Allen as your five, Mitch or Mo, yeah, Allen is the five, Mobley is the four. Who can you trade Garland then to get for your three? And both of these players are very injury prone, but it clearly has not worked out with both of them on the same team. To me, you you call the Clippers and you ask for either Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. And listen, Kawhi drives me nuts. He only plays 50 games a year. I understand it. He's hurt all the time. But that dude is the exact dude the Cavs need. If you only get them for yeah. 50 or 60 games, okay, the team's still going to be good enough to make the playoffs, especially in, in the, the weaker bottom portion of, of the East. Kawhi Leonard is a get-a-bucket guy that can create his own shots. And so is Paul George, by the way, though Paul George isn't as talented. To me, because I don't think Boston would give up Jalen Brown for, for Darius Garland, though I would make that deal. I don't think Boston would make that deal. I think, and I know they're both older and they both have injury history, but that's the only type of guy you're going to get for a guy like Darius Garland that you need to fill the team. Oh, 100%, because like you said, these guys these guys just aren't available. They're not They're not available. So if you want one, you're going to have to give up something. And, you know, I wouldn't mind Kawhi. He would hate it here, but <laughs> he don't want to be here for sure because that's yeah. why he made the whole move there, you know, so he could be home in LA, but I would take him in a heartbeat. Same thing, I would take I would take uh, Paul George as well. As you said, they're both a little bit older, but they're both six, seven, six, eight guys. They're three and D guys, and they're bucket getters. I mean, the the way I look at it is the Clippers have two wings that are clearly ran their course. They're they're both injury prone. They're going into a, a new arena. 
They need a playmaker. They don't need two wings. The Cavs mm-hmm. can give you that playmaker. And obviously they have the, the former Cavs head coach, Tyron Liu, who did not work with Garland, but obviously great point guard whisperer. We've seen what he's done with Kyrie and Russell Westbrook. Like, to me, that is the perfect trade. You get Garland out of the East, you send him to the West, you get one of those two older wings back. Because I can't think of another team that has a legit wing that you could get back for Garland and say that is a fair trade. No, you're right. That's the thing. Nobody, any team that has these guys, they're not giving them to us. They're, they are not giving them to us unless unless we give up DG. And even at that point, they're probably still not giving them to us. So like you said, the, the, it's slim pickings right now. It's slim pickings on what they could possibly trade trade for to fill that, that three hole. So, I mean, you, know, you look at a team like maybe uh, – maybe like in Atlanta where they have wings that, and they, they probably some of the wings are gettable, but they're all young. We're not really sure what they, what they are, you know, with a Hunter and a Griffin, um, not really sure exactly what they are. So you've got a guy, the level of DG, you're not dealing him for some young guys. You're dealing him for a proven commodity. DG's an all-star. So if they're going to deal him, it's got to be for somebody who is on that same level who's going to come in and play. And as you said, teams just aren't aren't trying to deal those guys. They're not. I do like your trade idea. I do. I mean, Paul George could have been a Cav years ago. Yes. Uh, we all know that old story. But um, and, and but I, by I, the way, I'll say this: I'm glad that they did not make that deal. I may be the only person in the world. But at that time to me, you just you keep the big three and you see what you can get. I, I, I dig it. But I also think that, you know, if they make that deal, are we still running the top of the East? Possibly. Probably. Possibly. But, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know it's a huge what if. The, the funny yeah. thing is, I've said this, Clarence, too. For years and years and years, we all hated Golden State, right? We went to four straight NBA finals against them. Not having to play them in the finals and the high stakes, like wouldn't the Cavs actually had a dynasty, except there was another dynasty in their way. Like, mm-hmm. I, ever since not being able to play Golden State, I have sort of leaned in to respect their culture, their team. I mean, you look at what they've done, and a lot of people are saying the dynasty's over, blah, 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 blah. What they have done over the last eight years, getting to what would it be, six finals in eight years, this is the first year that they actually were eliminated in the playoffs in the year they made the playoffs since before they went on that dynasty run. Like, to Mm -hmm. me, Golden State is the example of modern-day NBA that we're not going to see ever again. A great run. They're going to try to run it back with Chris Paul, which I think actually works. A lot of people are saying it's not going to work. They're too small. What Golden State was last year was what the Cavs were when LeBron was here the last four years. They were great when LeBron was on the court. They couldn't score when LeBron was off the court. Golden State last yeah. year could not score when Steph was on the court. Their plus minus was abysmal. So I'm not out on Golden State. Denver just won the championship. They're really young. They're coming back. Phoenix, I don't really know what the hell they're, they're doing. I still got to see that fit. 
The Lakers, to me, are a very interesting team, though I think they may be a piece away. But the NBA at this point is as balanced as it's ever been. Oh, for sure, for sure. And and on top of all this, we're still waiting on mega trades for Lillard and Harden. So, I mean, it's, it is crazy the way the NBA is set up right now. As we kind of said at the top, um, as far as drama goes, like every offseason, there's somebody who wants to, there's a star that wants to go. And and not only do the trades happen, but a lot of times these trades are just, are league-shaking trades. And, and you know, the other thing about the NBA is, as I'm sure you're about to get to, they send this player, you know, for example, Damian Lillard says, I'm going to go to Miami. For some reason, most of the GMs of the week say, okay, we'll send you to Miami. Ain't no way in hell. Ain't no way in hell that Miami is getting Lillard without two, at least one, if not two other teams involved. In my eyes, they, they just don't have what it takes. And Tyler Hero's a solid player, but he, him and whatever they need to throw on for some filler and the draft picks that they have that are going to be late first, that's not, that's not it for me. That's not it for me. There are some teams that have some really young talent. No, I was going to say, there are some teams that have some really young talent good by you, but bring, you know, a third team in or a fourth team in, I'm staying here because I got to get back something for losing my franchise player. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you, except for all kind of with this. When Brooklyn traded Durant to Phoenix last year at the deadline, they got, you know, Miles Bridges, who is turning out to be a really good player. I didn't think he was as good as, as what people, some people thought he was, turning into a good player in Brooklyn. But to me, they got a lot of role players. I was like, if I was Brooklyn, I would have asked for Devin Booker or Chris Paul back for a top five, top six player in the week in Durant, and they got nothing but role players. Like, I didn't think Brooklyn got enough in the deal. So I think Portland's going to take their time. Um, I think Damian Lillard, I've said this, and I don't know how you feel. Dame, to me, has a one game in a two's mind. I'm not sure Damian Lillard can be your number one and lead you to a championship but I think him and Jimmy Butler together, the toughness, the combination, mm-hmm. you keep Bam on a bio. Then I think you have a legitimate chance to, to win a championship. But it's very interesting. I've had this discussion with a lot of people in the NBA. I think there's a lot of players in the league. The NBA is one of those leagues where the difference between talented but reliable in big playoff situations is a huge difference. Uh, there's a lot of players. James Arden's an example of it. You can make an argument, talent-wise, he's one of the best scorers of the basketball we've ever seen. In the playoffs, his value isn't even worth whatever you want to throw because he's never been a proven postseason guy, which I'd be very worried to trade for a guy like him. For sure. For sure. Um, I think... I, and I tend to agree with you on on the Lillard thing, but the thing about Dame is that he's always been the best player, and the, the guy who's next to him, whether you know, basically he's been CJ McCollum more or less. CJ, good nice player, but he's not on Dame's level. 
Um, I, people want to talk about Jimmy Butler all they want. That dude is a stone cold killer. He is a stone cold killer. He steps it up in the playoffs. He's a beast. I think those two together would be phenomenal. Phenomenal. And I agree that I think those are, that's a championship caliber team with adding Bam and, and like I said, obviously you're going to have to give away Tyler Hero, but they made it to the finals last year without Tyler Hero. So, you know, it, I mean, it is what it is. As, I, I, I really think that's, um, but, but, but I will say, like I said, they just, Miami by themselves do not have what it takes to get Dane. So how much does another team want Tyler Hero? Because that's who they're going to – that's basically what's going to happen. How much does that third team want Tyler Hero? And, you know, as much as I want Miami story, and as I've said on this podcast before, I was rooting them for them to win the championship. I thought it would have been the best story the NBA has told easily since the 2016 Cavs of that Miami team being an eight seed winning the championship. As much as Jimmy was great the first three rounds, I was kind of disappointed by Miami as a whole in the finals because as good as Denver was, and Denver obviously was the best team in the regular season throughout, a lot like the Lakers series, the Lakers just could not close any of those four games. There were situations where Denver was begging Miami, and Jimmy specifically sometimes, to get aggressive and drive to the basket and get back in the game. And they just, it, it was like they did not sometimes believe that they belong there on that stage. Like that series to me should have been a lot closer than five games, even though Denver won in five games. It felt like there were some games where Miami, two of those games, got off to great starts. And by the second quarter, they were out of gas. Yeah, I I just think Denver just had too much for them. They just had too much firepower. And I think that's one of the main reasons they're going after Dane. Like, I think that, you know, you, you had Butler who was hurt. From what from everything I've read, and there, he was suffered an injury, I guess, somewhere in that series. So he wasn't, you know, himself. But Miami, without, without Butler and, you know, no Tyler Hero, they just can't score. And Denver can score their asses off. So, I mean, it was just a mismatch. They can play defense all day. Miami could. But, I mean, at some point, when you just don't have the, the horses to score, you just can't win. Clarence, if you could, because I ranted on this on Tuesday's show, could you explain, and if you can't, I completely understand it because I don't understand it. Explain to me what the hell this in-season tournament is because I, I don't get it. I don't understand the format. I don't understand the rules. I don't understand how they came up with the teams. None of it to me makes sense. They're using it as a money toy to get more games. Yet, as I said the other day, I don't care if it's your two best teams. For example, if it's Nuggets Heat, you know, finals rematch in November, I don't really care about it because to me, the NBA, the only time the NBA truly matters is right after football season. Even the Christmas Day games now, you could put the top 10 teams on in the NBA. The two worst teams in the NFL would absolutely destroy it in ratings. Like, maybe the NBA is trying to create some urgency in the regular season, but no matter what, this up thing, it doesn't make any sense. It's not going to do anything for the league. I don't understand it at all. I'm not – I agree. I'm not really sure, like, what the hell they're trying to do. Um, there's one championship. And it's one in June. 
So to me, like the this in season tournament, yeah, I guess you know it'll bring some eyes. You know, it'll draw. Um, you know, I, I'm imagining you know it'll do something similar to like the playing games because I do enjoy the playing games. I think it's kind of stupid that you play all season long, and if you're the seven and eight seed, you got to win your way in. It's a gimmick. I don't like it. As I said the other day, I think gimmicks should be reserved for professional wrestling. These sports are getting yeah. way too much gimmicky. <laughs> um. And as I also said the other day, for example, what happens if a team like the Wizards shock the world and win the playing tournament and end up winning only 20 regular season games? Like, what the hell? Yeah. Nobody understands this. No. I tried to follow a little bit and how they drew the teams or whatever and everything, and I was just kind of like, there's a lot going on here. I, 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 I'll be honest. I was like, you know what? When it rolls around, I'll get into it. But it just seems to me, like I said, it's there's one ring. There's one ring that's run in the NBA every single year, and that ring is played for in June. So a midseason tournament, again, money grab. I'm sure it'll probably create some excitement and whatnot. But like in the end, it don't matter. It doesn't matter. Last NBA question for you. Your thoughts. There were two new rule changes implemented. One of them I like. One of them I think is going to turn very controversial. The one I do like is, it's kind of like like the NFL model, is obviously if a coach uh, wins his first challenge, he can get a second challenge. I said I thought they should have did that when the challenge was implemented. Only makes yep. sense. I, I like it. The flopping rule to me, I mean – how are you going to determine, unless it's clearly obvious, that somebody flops? Uh, this is what I'll say about the NBA. The NBA is, in my eyes, by far the number one sport that sees problems and tries to change the problems. They don't wait three, four, five years. They see an issue. They, they'll implement a rule. They'll try it out. If it works, cool. If not, they know they can always pull it back. So the game is ever-evolving, and the NBA, nothing but credit for them willing to change the game and make it more palatable to the fans and the viewers and everyone who's watching it. Um, I agree with you 100% on the coach's rules. That, that's Yeah, if you win your challenge, you get another one. That's the way it should work. You don't get one and then be like, all right, that's it. Um, the flop, like, yeah, how, how can you tell? I I feel like number one. I feel like I do enjoy the instant replay aspect, but I feel like the game just stops too damn much. They stop them for everything. I feel like the continuity of games has been kind of torn apart because they got to stop and see. Oh, we check and see if this is a clear path foul. Uh, check and see if this is you know a flagrant uh, unnecessary contact. Checking to see they're always stopping the game to see this stuff. So I feel like tossing this flop rule in, again, how are you going to tell? And it's going to be on a judgment call on a referee. And as well, your players' um, previous reputations are going to come into play as well when that comes up. So I'm just, I'm not, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of stopping the game any damn longer. And, <laughs> and two quick points. You know, number one, every block charge called, Whoever doesn't get the call, they're going to be yelling they flopped. Mm -hmm. And number two, I think the great Fox Sports radio host, Colin Coward, had the greatest solution for replay across sports I've ever heard. And I don't know why sports don't do this. If you go to a replay, you get 30 seconds to look at the replay. 
if it's inconclusive within 30 seconds, the call has to stand. You mm-hmm. should be able to know almost immediately, oh, we screwed up, reverse the call. If you got to look at it milliliter by milliliter and still get the call wrong, why do we have instant replay? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I 100% agree. I just, I don't know, when I watch an NBA game now, it's, as I said, there's just too many stoppages. The The last two minutes, I don't know if you, if you remember, there was a game two years ago. It was the year after COVID. It was the 72-game season. The playoffs started in May, which, by the way, I was a huge advocate of. I loved it. I thought mm-hmm. the NBA should have continued with that schedule. You start the week mm-hmm. in December. You end it in July. Mm-hmm. You pretty much avoid all, all NFL competition. I don't know why yep. they didn't go for it. I thought it was perfect. Um, but there was a game. It was the Western Conference Finals game. It was the Suns and Clippers. And I think the last minute of the game took about 40 minutes to complete in real time. I think it was like game two or something like that, where there was a stoppage like every two seconds. There was like balls being knocked. It was ridiculous. And I think that's when the NBA said like, okay, you can only look at certain aspects of the replay or or whatever the case may be. Uh, But we all know NBA officiating, out of all the four sports, the worst officiating, the four major pro sports, and even game five of the finals, First half, they weren't calling nothing. Second half, you touch some guy, mm-hmm. you're getting a foul. I mean, the, the NBA is one of those yeah. things where it doesn't matter. They switch it quarter to quarter, minute by minute. You don't know if you're allowed to check someone or if you if you touch them, you're getting fouled. Uh, I don't like it. And for supposedly full-time officials, I get it. The NBA is hard. The game is hard. The speed is fast. But how do you miss so many game-changing calls that people like us debate all day long. Mm-hmm. It's it's ridiculous. Um, I, I, I will say this. I hate the last two-minute report. I oh, think yeah. it's awful. Um, the, the, oh, yeah. By the way, we fucked bad. up. They're, they're pretty much, by the way, <laughs> we fucked up. Okay? How does that help you when the game is yeah. over? Like, do we want to change yeah. the result of the game? Well, and that, and then, and then you say, "All right, well, we fucked it up here." How many times did you fuck it up in the previous forty-six minutes? Yeah. yeah. So, like, so I, I absolutely hate the two-minute report because it's dumb. If you're gonna, if you're gonna give a report, give a report on the entire damn game. That, that's just to me that makes sense because, like I said, if you're just talking about the last two minutes, yes, that is winning time. But there might have been ten plays that were made in the first forty-six minutes. That might have changed the outcome of this game somehow, but we're not looking at that. It's stupid. Completely agree. Clarence, it was a hell of a time. We, we took about an hour today. We talked all things NBA, all things NFL. Completely fun. I want to have you back on again, obviously, when the NFL season's in season, when the NBA is back in season. Well, Devin, yeah, man, I'll give you a chance to shout out any of your social media, anything you want to shout out real quick. Nah, just uh... – Follow uh, follow me at uh, Idaho Anthony on Twitter, on the Twitter machine. Um, you can uh, listen to me on Brown and Orange Weekly. Um, that is a podcast you believe in media. Um, shout out to everybody at the Believe Land family. Um, follow Believe Land media as well. Uh, we're trying to do things, and that's that's it, man. Like go Browns, 
go cabbies, go guards, um, go Tar Heels. I'm a big Tar Heel fan. So go Tar Heel basketball. Um, that's it, man. That's that's all I got, man. Love and love one another. Be nice to be nice to other people. Yes. Shit. Be, be nice to, to other people in, in today's world of taking people down on social media. Threads is a, Threads is a very nice app so far. I've been checking it out. It's Twitter for nice people, basically. <laughs> so, so it's not the cesspool that is Brown's Twitter? Yes, it is, it is not. <laughs> All righty. That'll do it for today's episode of Brains World. Thank you, Clarence, for coming on. We will be back on Tuesday's episode. I'll see you guys next time. Peace. Thanks, me.